Thank you, Ron. Good morning, everyone. Hey, you made it. Thanks for coming. My name is Matt. I work here every once in a while. We are today wrapping up the book of Galatians. Yes. Uh, we are in chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 11 to 18. So you can go there. Uh, I want to just give you a little bit of heads up, and this is kind of where we're going today. Um, Paul, throughout this entire book, he is trying to get across the point, and he's being very, like, in your face with the people of Galatia. He's trying to say, stop trying on the outside to get everybody to think that you've got it all together. That your faith is because of these external works. And primarily what's true for the people there during that time is observe the ceremonial laws and circumcision. And that takes place throughout the entire book. Um, And so I want to just get us to this point of getting this understanding of it's my outside actions that, that get me in and that get me through and maybe fool everybody else. And, and Paul's saying that is really not it at all. Uh, have you ever been kind of laid bare by your children or, or somebody else where you're, you're talking, you maybe have a little bit of like, uh, everything's okay. I, I had this moment uh, this summer where we're at a camp and I'm talking to this lady and she's telling me all of these amazing, wonderful things that she's doing. She serves on these boards and like she's helping the homeless and she's doing all these really, and as you stand and you're talking to her, you're listening to her, there's a lot of really amazing, wonderful things that she's doing. I'm quite impressed with her. Well, she's there. She's, uh, she's a grandmother and she happened to bring uh, her twin grandsons with her to the camp. And as we're talking, uh, the kids praying gets let out. And so they come out and the kids are doing that thing where like they're circling around her, trying to get their attention, like pulling on her and all of that. And then one of the boys goes up to his twin brother and just kicks him right between the legs. And that boy just goes, <laughs> right? Like just falls down and he's yelling, Grandma, he kicked me in the, he kicked me in the, and just running around. And she's trying to pretend like this is not happening whatsoever. Right? She's just like, and then I did this and then this, right? And I'm like, okay. And then they start running around to the point where they actually pull her down. And now I'm having to pull her back up. And she's just having one of the worst moments of her life. Has this kind of stuff ever happened? Here are some of the most embarrassing things ever blurted out by children. The edited for church version. All right? How about this one? Mom, please don't sell me on Craigslist. I promise I'll be good. Some of you are all, oh, I never used that one. <laughs> How about this one? This is a lady. She said, during my divorce, while the kids and I were at Walmart buying groceries, I put a bottle of wine in my cart and my daughter yells, oh, look, mom's sad again. <laughs> Submitted by a real Calvary church person. Just kidding. Um, how about this one? My, my son was feeling really badly about pooping his pants. So to make him feel better, I told him that it happens to everyone, even mommy. The next day we walk into daycare and told the lead teacher, the boy says, yesterday I pooped my pants, but mom said it was okay. It happens to her all the time. <laughs> my nine-year-old daughter said, dad, mom said I'm like you. I don't have any common sense. Is that true? At the Walmart checkout, when I told my child that we didn't have any money for toys, they said, how come you don't have any money? Are we poor? How about to the man with the eye patch? My four-year-old pointed and said, look, mama, a pirate. 
And finally, I like this one. My son informed my mother-in-law that my husband hid from her when he saw her at Whole Foods. <laughs> really great. All right. Those are the things that get us in trouble. They kind of expose us. And they say, wow, maybe on the outside, that, that's not everything. I, we're we're going to talk this morning a little bit about boasting. This is where Paul's leading us as we are, are going through this passage, um, Galatians. And, and what he's going to get down to is that you can boast about everything you want, but the only thing that really matters is if you are going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to just kind of lay this passage out as a foundation for us. This is from John chapter 10. And it says the thief, this is Jesus talking, he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. To the extent that you believe and live out that verse or you don't is the extent that you really can boast in the cross or not. Um, so let's look in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 11. And this is what Paul is going to say. Verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you in my own hand. He basically pushes the scribe over and he says, Okay, I'm going to take it from here. And he's writing, this is bold-faced, underlined, and the, the font size is like 40 at this point. He says, Look, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they try to compel you to be circumcised. Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. This is a primary issue for those people a couple thousand years ago. Thankfully this is not so much our concern anymore. But... There are things that we still boast about in our flesh that pull us down. Now, I also know that this is not really the circle that you run in often, but if you hadn't heard, I'm Jewish, and we talk about circumcision all the time in our community. Now, it's an amazing thing because God is up to something good. Old, Old Testament, um, the command is that when your son is eight days old— you circumcise him. And that is a covenant. It's a sign of this relational covenant that God has with his people. And when you circumcise your eight-day-old son, he is brought into this covenant relationship. It was a sign. It was external. And it was this, this picture that says God has chosen these people. Um, God's even up to something amazing because the eighth day, why, uh, we, I've always like, heard the eighth day and didn't really know until we had kids. But the eighth day is amazing because on the eighth day, that is when your body actually produces vitamin K. Vitamin K is what helps your blood to clot. And so God is kind of, as the designer and the creator of all of us, he knows that it's on the eighth day, that that's when all that's going to happen. If you have your child that's circumcised in the hospital on the first day, they just give them a shot of vitamin K. And then everything uh, goes about that. Now, in our circle, in our community, um, we get, like, I know all of you, you get invited to, like, go to weddings. We get invited to go to circumcision. It's a, it's a big event. I know. It's crazy. You get, like, little wedding invitations. We always see the invitations. We're all, oh, what is that? Oh, it must be a circumcision party. And it's a real thing. We still do this today. 
You get invited. They order a big deli tray from Catella Deli. There's 40 of your best friends in the living room. And you invite a person called a moil. Do you know what a moil is? That's the guy that does the snip. He comes out. He's a Jew that is ordained by the rabbis to perform the circumcision. They do this on the eighth day. Everybody gathers around. The mother has been crying. Um, I remember like my son just holding onto my finger. He's crying and I'm saying, I'm sorry, you're Jewish. And it was, <laughs> it, it was just a, and you know, if you've had kids eight days in, like, some of the shock is, is wearing off, right? Like you're just starting to like, okay, we can do this. The sleeping schedule's coming together. But like the eighth day you go through the circumcision, like everything just gets messed up all over again, right? And so this is what takes place. And it's an important thing for us. We do this to identify with our Jewish people. Um, but we were at one of these beautiful, they call them a bris or a brit milah in Hebrew. And uh, we were at one of these and I'm there with my friend and this is about 10 years ago. So he's about 30 years old and we're there and we're there for the circumcision of his son and he has a moil come to the house and we're talking and they're getting the kid ready and all that. It's just a big, it's fantastic. I wish you could go find a Jewish friend and then get invited. It'll be great. Um, the moil comes up to my friend. I'm standing with my friend. Are you feeling uncomfortable? By the way, Dave's somewhere in Nebraska trying to find the eclipse, so I can say whatever I want today. <laughs> so I'm going to spend a good 10 minutes on circumcision. Um, the moil comes up to my friend and I, and he says, uh, hey, did you uh, get it done? He's all, yeah. Did you get it done the right way by the right person? He says, well, no, it's in the hospital. And he's all, you want to get it done today? And he he said, no. And then he starts to think about it. And this guy's like kind of pushy. He's the pushiest moil I've ever seen. Like I later on went on Yelp and reviewed. No, I'm just kidding. I wonder if that's a thing. Anyway, he starts to think about it. And the guy says, the moil says, all we need is a prick, just a little bit of blood. And you're, you're in. And my friend looks at him and he says, all right, I'll do it. And the moil looks at me and says, how about two for nothing? No, no, there's no, there's no possible way. Well, he disappears. My friend goes into the bathroom with the moil. And five minutes later, he says, we're done. And I'm looking and they walk around the house. Well, he, the moil walks around the house and he's brought, we got another one. And it's unbelievable. Paul, believe it or not, if I can make a connection, is saying the same thing. He's saying, look, we're trying to round up everybody and we're trying to get everybody to be circumcised so that they could boast in your flesh. You have these Judaizers who are Jews who have come to faith, but they're saying, look, the cross is not enough. We have to do more. We have to have the circumcision. And so it says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh through circumcision, they try to compel you to be circumcised so they won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But those who are circumcised, these people, they don't even keep the law themselves. They desire for you to be circumcised so that they can go around and tell everybody, hey, we got another one. The gospel that Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians is a call to freedom. It's not about the compulsion of I've got to be circumcised or I've got to do this, I've got to do that. It's a call to freedom. That's where we're going today. And so I want you to hear this, that the gospel of freedom 
calls us to resist living this outward life, this outside-out kind of life where I've got to do stuff in order to make it look like on the outside and even convince myself if I'm just doing A, B, and C that everything's going to be all right. And so we tend to go to one of two places, and the first is legalism. And we've talked about this throughout the the whole book, but legalism is this thing where we say that I can control God's affection for me through my actions, through my behavior. I'll earn his approval by what I do. These are all of my actions. So I can take God plus my actions, and that is what gives me my, my salvation. Paul says, no, no, that's not, it's not the cross plus you. Because if you did that, and Ephesians makes this very clear, that it's by faith so that no man can boast. It's not anything that you do or that you don't do. It's because of your faith that you boast in the cross. And so that legalism for us, that's all of the stuff that we do that we're trying to work out our salvation. And it could be something as simple as, well, I read the Bible every single day. Um, I volunteer in children's ministries. I, I, I do all of these things, these actions. It's not circumcision. That's not our concern today, right? We don't deal with that, but we still fight this idea of I've got to have all of my ducks lined up. And so as long as I'm doing that, then God's cool with me. The problem is that when you're not doing all of that, then our salvation in our hearts and our minds, it goes into question. And we start to have an insecurity and we don't truly believe that we are saved. That's legalism on one side. The other side of this is license. And license is this idea that God ultimately doesn't know what is best for me. When Jesus says that I came that you might have life and that you may have it abundantly, it's undermining that. It's saying, I am going to be the source of my own life abundant. I, I, I think this book, this Bible, is kind of an old and outdated book, and it really doesn't speak anymore. Lots and lots of rules and regulations. It kind of feels stifling. And so I'm going to find my own life abundant apart. And so now I will do whatever I want. And it's behind this is this attitude, this idea that God is withholding, that God is pulling back that he doesn't really want my best. And so, and look, you don't have to be a total pagan to live that life. In fact, many of us, we just kind of live that life without even knowing it. That we seek our own happiness and our own abundant life apart from God. The connection, even though these are kind of on two different poles, these, they're on different sides of the track, they actually have something in common because they both fail to trust God at his word. Legalism says, man, the cross is offensive because if I'm good and there's other people that are bad, it's not fair that God forgives me and he would forgive them. We fail to trust that God is actually going to forgive us. And then legalism, the gospel is offensive because what we say is the cross is the only way for salvation. Try to tell that to somebody who's living a life of license. And they're going to say, that's super offensive. In fact, Bertrand Russell, he's a British philosopher from a while back. He said this, No one who is profoundly human can believe that God would punish sin like that. He called the cross the the cross of cruelty. That it was a cruel thing that really like that's actually what you believe. Now here's a case study. If you look in the garden, 
At the beginning of the story in Genesis, Genesis 1, right? God creates everything. The earth, the sky, the birds, he created us. And he gives dominion over everything to Adam and Eve. He says, we are in this together. This is your world. Now go rule it. Go name things. You're in charge. Cultivate the garden. Like do stuff. Except just don't touch that one tree. Life is really good. And then we get to chapter 3, and now it's undermined. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And this is what the serpent says in the garden. The serpent says, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. I want you to remember that for the rest of our time here this morning. When you eat that, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's withholding from you. God doesn't truly want you to be happy. You want to be happy, take the fruit. Find your own way. And so the response and what happens is the eyes of both of them were opened, just as the serpent promised. And they knew that they were naked. Before they were naked and unashamed. They ran through the garden naked, naming the animals, being over all of... It was great. And now shame has been entered into the situation. They know that they're naked. Now they are ashamed. And so what do they do? They sew fig leaves together and they go into hiding. They made for themselves a covering. On the outside, we are going to look okay. But we know internally we feel this shame. And so now we have legalism. We have legalism and license all within the first couple chapters of the holy book. And that is where we struggle, friends. That is what hangs us up. And when we find ourselves living in one of these two areas, we don't experience the freedom that he has called us to. And what we're kind of driven by is wrapped up for me in this sentence. It's our appearance. It's our acceptance and approval from others that leads to our actions of perfection and performance and pleasing. That is the outside out kind of life. And Paul is saying, it's not like that at all. The gospel of freedom calls us to live. It's an invitation to live an inside out kind of life. Keep going in Galatians. Ready? Verse 14. It says, but may it never be. NIV, I think it says, forbid it. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. He says, the world has no more power or control over me. It's dead to me. It's been crucified. And I to the world. And this is a key verse. Verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. If you've been around church for a while, you start to think right now, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? We're going to be doing baptisms tonight, and we're talking about There's people in the room right over there. They are talking about this, that you are a new creation, that you boast in that. And even baptism, as we talk about that being an outside sign of what's happened to you internally, when we do that, God gets the glory. 
And so he says, it's neither circumcision or uncircumcision, but a new creation. And it says, and those who will walk by this rule, if you walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That their salvation is, be, is wrapped up in the cross. I love this. I did a little bit of nerd work on, on this word mercy. The word mercy, it, it means in some Greek context, it means that God literally changes the subject. Because some, you have people in your life that are accusing you saying, but you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. And God steps in and says, no, 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 but I did this. Let me change the subject. It's his mercy that was poured out on miserable people because of our sin that God says, no, 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 let's change the story. From now on, in verse 17, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. We know that Paul endured a lot of persecution for saying what he's saying right here. That circumcision doesn't matter. Following the law is, is a beautiful thing when you do it out of delight, but not out of obligation. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, that you would walk in the spirit of the grace of God, brethren. Amen. Now, this is important. And if you kind of look through this last section of scripture that we're talking about, this word boast shows up a few times. And I want to unpack this for us uh, because boasting is a battle term. It's a term for war. It was the thing that you took your confidence in that was going to give you victory in the battle. And so here's a great example. This is from Psalm 20. Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some boast in chariots and some in horses. And so we're saying what we get victory in is we have really big horses, we have really big chariots, and we're going to win the battle because of that. So some, some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God this idea that our confidence as we go into battle against the enemy is our confidence is in God. It's not in our own strength. It's not in all the things that we've done, but we put it squarely in his corner. Now, I was introduced to something this week. Are any rugby fans in the house today? A few rugby fans? Yes. Okay. Seven of you. Great. Perfect. We're going to get you together and make a life group. Um, now, uh, I learned about this thing that happens. There's a team in New Zealand, and they do this thing called the haka. Has anyone ever heard of the haka? I didn't even know about this until this week, and uh, we were talking, and so they showed me this. Um, and the haka is this amazing thing that started as a war dance. Listen to this. It started as a war dance. Firstly, it was done to scare the opponents. So they do this at, uh, and it has ancient, like you would do this. If you're going into battle, my tribe against your tribe, you dance the haka. You scare your opponents. The warriors would use aggressive facial expressions. They would bulge their eyes and they would stick out their tongues. They would grunt and cry in an intimidating way while beating and waving their weapons. And the second reason they would do this was for their own morale, to build them up as they went into the battle. And they believed that they were calling upon the God of war to help them win the battle. This is what that haka looks like when this New Zealand team plays. This is like a World Cup. They're going against France. And I want you to feel the tension. I want you to feel the battle. And I want you to think about the boasting that takes place right here. 
Well, the challenge has been received. The challenge has been thrown out. How cool is that? I, mean, I remember we had moments as parents where my kids were making those faces at us. I didn't know it was like cry to battle. But now next time your kids like try to push up against you or something, you just kind of like throw them some signs and you stick your tongue out and it'll be fantastic. But how great is that? And so they go in against this battle. I want to play rugby now. But they're going through and they go into this battle. And you think about this. This is like all throughout like history, these battle cries, these speeches going into a great battle. you got to think about this. Like some people are trusting in their horses and the chariots. Go throughout scripture. And you have like this, this Israelite tribe going against Pharaoh and his huge Egyptian army. And you find that there are some boasts that lead to defeat and there are some boasts that will lead you to victory. But all throughout that, I mean, think about the prince's bride, right? You are the six-fingered man. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It's a boast, right? In fact, I thought, let's have a little bit of fun. Can we, can we cue the music here? I have some famous boasts. Ready? Oh, yeah. We're not goons. We're not bullies. No matter what people say or do, we have to be ourselves. And we're going to stick together. You know why? Because we're ducks. And ducks fly together. It's a haka. How about this one? I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and we break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight. Yeah, college students know this, that's right. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand men of the West from the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. And then I couldn't stand up here and do all that and not do this. I am William Wallace. Right? Wait, can we hold, stop the music. I can't do this as well. Uh, Tim, will you come up here for a second? Uh, some of you know him as Pastor Tim Nellis, but many of the kids know him as Angus from VBS 2016. I thought, who better to do this than Tim? Cue music once again. Draw the lights down. It's Braveheart time. Here we go. It's all you, baby. I am William Wallace. And I see before me a whole army of my countrymen that are here in defiance of tyranny. You come to fight as free men, and free men you are. But what will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? I run, and you may live, fight, and you'll die. But as you lay down in your beds many years from now, what would you give to tell those who have come to take your freedom that you would be willing to trade all those days from this one till that to tell them that yes, 
They may take our lives, but they will never take First hour missed out because I didn't do that first hour. That was so good. The funny thing is he's going back, his kid's getting baptized and he's going back to the baptism class with his kid. So, and like, he's going to go in, he's all pumped up. He's like, baptism, here we go. That was great. Do you get it? It's what is it that you're going to boast in as you go into battle, as you go into war, what is your boast? What is your confidence in? Now, the Bible, it throws this out there all the time. And maybe one of the best and clearest ways for us to see it is, is in this passage. See, I said that there's boasts that, that lead to victory and there's also boasts that lead to defeat. Um, and as the towering giant of Goliath steps onto the battlefield in the Valley of Elah and this young boy... David, who would one day be king, steps out onto the battlefield. He faces this giant, and the giant says, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? I think it served as the inspiration for the three amigos. Tell us we will die like dogs. (laughs) You will die like dogs, right? Am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And he says, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Nobody's questioning Goliath because they know (laughs) nine and a half feet of man against the little scrawny David, he has no chance. But then David shows up and David has a boast of his own. Can we do the music again? (laughs) Listen to this. David says to this Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or a spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. Right? Haka. His boast is in the Lord. And God gave him victory. That's why David went into the battle. He knew what he was up against, but he also knew what he had behind him. I think a lot of us, we look at the gospel and we think the gospel was this good news that saved me when I was five years old, praying with my mom on my bed, right? And so the gospel is this good news, but I already got it and I don't need it much anymore because I'm in. I want you to understand that this inside out life that God is calling us into, the gospel changes everything. It's way past our moment of salvation. 
I, I want you to hear this because this is life-changing if this is true. After Jesus dies, buried, resurrected, he's walking along the way and he is on the road to a place called Emmaus. And as he's walking, Jesus comes upon two people that their minds are blown from everything that they had just experienced in Jerusalem. And they're talking about it. And they're talking to Jesus. Have you heard what's going on? And they're talking and Jesus is all, hey, thanks for the conversation. I'm going to go. And they say, no, no, would you come back to our place? We want to keep talking. This is amazing. And Jesus is telling them everything in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets and all of this great and amazing stuff. And so now they're sitting down at the table and they're breaking bread together. And this is what takes place. And I want you to, I want you to pay attention. This is important. It says, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Have we heard that before? Where do we hear that? Genesis. Right? Luke is doing something for us. Uh, biblically, this is something called a remez. Will you say something? And it's all throughout scriptures, more than 300 times, where something is said in the New Testament to draw our minds and to draw our hearts back to something that took place in the Old Testament. I mean, for us, it's, it's if I say, I pledge allegiance, you know how to finish the line, right? Well, when Luke is saying their eyes were open, this is important. It's drawing us back to the garden. Eyes were opened in the garden and it brought shame. And so Jesus, when he came and he died on the cross, He's finishing something up that was left undone. And he's turning the tables and he's making all things new. He's making us new. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. It's funny because they were walking with Jesus, dining with Jesus this whole time. And now they recognize him. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. The gospel becomes alive. We have this centerpiece in the middle of the cross. And on one side, we have the entrance of sin and the fall of man that brings about shame and pain in the world. And so we go about covering ourselves with fig leaves. I just want you to pay attention in your own lives of what are the fig leaves that you are using in your life to cover things up. And perhaps one of the greatest used fig leaves that we, we tend to use all the time is that we just come to church. Can you hide here in the church? If you just learn the lingo and the Christianese, if you learn like, oh, this is the song where I raise my hand here, if you're talking to somebody and they're hurting and you say, well, I'm just going to pray for you. We can go through all of those motions and never really have a relationship with God. There are many of us here even today that the fig leaf that we're using is that we come here. And so Jesus invites us into this life where we don't have to cover up anymore. That there is freedom when we put our trust and all of our hope 
It's not in all of the great and wonderful things that we do, and it's not in all of the really horrible sins that we can't ever be forgiven of. The cross stands in the middle and says, your boast is in the cross. Stop trying. Put your faith and devotion and follow me. It's about the cross. And so on one side, we have the legalism, and the other side, we have the license, and it's this mistrust, and we don't really think that God is going to be about everything that it says in this book. We fail to trust and take God at his word. But what he's inviting us to do, and the profound piece for me as I've been like looking and studying this for the last couple of weeks, is he wants your life and he wants to give you freedom. He wants that liberty. He wants you to claim him as Lord of your life and that you would love him with all of your heart as imperfect as it would be. We sing a song prone to wander, but we're also like prone to legalism, right? And so we submit that to the Lord today and we say, it's not about all of these things that I do. And I can still be pulled back in even from all of the horrible things that I have done. That's the invitation for us. That's the invitation for you. That's the gospel of freedom. That's the book of Galatians. And so whether you are living in this life where you're just struggling and you feel like the weight of your sin is too much, or you might even feel like the weight of the law of the word of God is too much, he says, I've come to lighten your burden that you would trust and you follow me. That doesn't mean that we don't obey, but now our obedience is done out of delight and not obligation. That is the life that he's calling us to. I'm going to pray and close our time, and we're going to sing a song. Uh, it's called Inside Out, um, but it just says, and the band, you guys can come up right now, but the song just says, a thousand times I failed, but still your mercy remains. You keep changing the subject, God. Every time I want to say, but I've done this and I've done that and I've messed up, your mercy continues and it remains in my life. Should I stumble again, then I am caught in your grace. And you know, God has a problem throughout the word because there are some people, people like David, who had a heart after God, who did some pretty horrible things. And God still says, my grace remains even for David. Well, his grace remains for you. Our response today, if you want, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. The card on the seat back in front of you gives you a couple of options of, man, that's the life I want. I don't have anything like that. However, I came in today, um, I came in as a mess. Some of you might be here and you had the biggest night of partying in your life last night and you are recovering for it right here in your seat right now. And you're trying to pull it all together that the life that you came in here with today, your current life could be your former life and you trade all of that in. And you might decide that I've been living kind of in these chains and I want freedom. And so you just indicate that. And maybe you just say, I want to be baptized and, and to do that to the glory of God, not for my own. So whatever that is, maybe you could drop that in the car and we follow you up this week with, with you this week. Uh, but we're going to worship. We're going to sing out these songs. Um, we're also going to take an offering because that's just another expression for us to be able to say, God, we love you. We lay it all down. And so we're going to give you our gifts of, 
financial. We're going to lay this over to you, and we're going to thank you for what you've given us as well. So let's do that. Let's, let's gather together, and let's pray, and let's worship God. So God, today, our boast is in you. Not for the great and wonderful things, our perfect track record of church attendance and 10% offering and giving and how we've treated our neighbors, but those things are great. But what we really want is we want our hearts totally enraptured in love with you. And may that be a light thing for us as we bring ourselves to you that we say, God, I'm tired of carrying this on my own. That you step in and you change the subject for me. You make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.